As I mentioned, we are in 1 Samuel. Our text this morning is 1 Samuel chapter 16. We're going to look at verses 14 through 23, Lord willing. So you can open your Bibles there if you have them. The topic we'll find there is this. David's music is able to drive off the distressing spirit that periodically troubles King Saul. The title of our message, Exorcise Music. Let's pray together. Father, as we approach your word, we want to do it humbly, with open hearts, allowing you to search our heart to see if there be any way in us, Lord, that you would like to see changed. More importantly, Lord, that we would just see Jesus, that we would understand more about his love, more about his grace, more about his mercy, that the Holy Spirit would minister to us in power, that we would understand that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Lord, some of us, maybe most of us, are burdened this morning about one thing or another. I pray that we would cast our cares upon you, knowing that you care for us. And that we would experience, Lord, the uh, promise that you are yoked together with us and that your burdens are, are light, uh, and that your yoke is easy. We want to understand your word, but more than just understand what happened in it, Lord, we want to see how it relates to us. We want it to apply to our lives, and so I pray that you would do that work by your Holy Spirit, who is our teacher. We thank you and praise you. We do it in Jesus' name, and those who agreed said, Amen. Michael Roizen is a chief wellness officer at the Cleveland Clinic. By studying the medical records of previous U.S. presidents back to Theodore Roosevelt, he's determined that the stress and demands put on them because of their office take a heavy toll on their bodies. Roizen says this, the typical person who lives one year ages one year, whereas the typical president ages two years for every year they are in office. It's pretty remarkable to just look at before and after pictures of Bill Clinton and George W. Bush. The visual evidence alone shows you the aging effects their office had upon them. In our text, a young David had recently been made aware that he would be Israel's next king. He would replace the current monarch, King Saul. Through an extremely odd set of circumstances, David was called to come to serve King Saul. Walking into Saul's tent, David saw firsthand the effect the office had upon Saul. Only in his case, we're not talking about physical effects like graying hair and wrinkles. No, we're talking about spiritual effects. Saul was in bad spiritual shape. On account of his persistent disobedience, the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and a distressing spirit from the Lord troubled him. Could something like that happen to David during his reign as king? Well, the answer to that is yes, at least David thought so, because he would later write in Psalm 51 after a period of disobedience, do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. David perhaps flashed back in his mind to this time when he saw Saul void of the Holy Spirit and he understood that he could end up like him. I hope to assure you today that in the church age, the believer in Jesus Christ need not fear that the Holy Spirit will be taken away from him or her. However, we still may ruin our lives through persistent disobedience, make shipwreck our faith, be disqualified from serving the Lord, and suffer the loss of eternal rewards. 
That is, unless we stand in the place David stood and take a good, long, hard look at the debilitating spiritual effects of disobedience. David had a, a, a really a, a remarkable look firsthand on what could happen to him if he didn't follow the Lord. And it's a look that we want to take as well. And to that end, I'll organize my thoughts around two points. Number one, take a long look at Saul so you can avoid any similarities. And number two, take a longing look at David so you can adopt every similarity. Let's take a look at Saul first in verses 14 through 17. As we do, let's consider these initial similarities between Saul and David. Saul had been chosen to be king. He'd been anointed by the prophet Samuel. God the Holy Spirit had come upon him. David had chosen to be king. He'd been anointed by the prophet Samuel. God the Holy Spirit had come upon him. Might David have been thinking about these similarities when he first met Saul? Whether or not David was thinking about them, we probably should. We don't want to have any similarities to the Saul we encounter in this chapter. Saul started well. He finished poorly. If you're a Christian, you always start well. You start forgiven. Your slate clean, filled with the Holy Spirit. We also want to finish uh, well. In verse 14, we read, But the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a distressing spirit from the Lord troubled him. Now, this is a big doctrinal mouthful. And so let's take it in two manageable portions. It should come as no surprise to read the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. It kind of takes us back, but it really isn't surprising because the ministry of God the Holy Spirit and his relationship to believers was different in the Old Testament than it is today. It was not uncommon in Old Testament times for the Holy Spirit to come upon a believer for a temporary period of empowering or insight and then to depart only to return at a future time. I would submit Samson as a prime example of this. The Holy Spirit would come upon him, he would do some amazing feat, and then the Holy Spirit would leave him for a time. Now, the Holy Spirit's coming and departure had nothing to do with salvation. The people upon whom he came were already saved, and they remained saved after his departure. They were saved the same way people are always saved. You are justified by grace through faith. You believe God and it's accounted unto you for righteousness. And so these Old Testament characters, they were saved. And then their relationship to the Holy Spirit was such that he would come upon them for a period of time. They would do some amazing work for the Lord and then he would be removed from them. Now, in the New Testament era, in the church age in which we live, all of that has changed. When you are saved, the Holy Spirit comes to permanently indwell you. He never leaves you. You're described as being sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise in Ephesians 1.13. You are placed by Him into the body of Christ, sealed unto the day of redemption, Ephesians 4, verse 30. He never, ever departs from the believer. So this indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, this born-again experience that we talk about, unique to the New Testament believer of the church age, and it is a permanent indwelling. Now, the New Testament does speak of a further baptism with the Holy Spirit by which you might be empowered for special service. But the Holy Spirit who is in you never, ever departs from you. Now, for the second portion of verse 14, the distressing spirit from the Lord. There are three main interpretations. Number one, Saul was demon-possessed. Number two, 
Saul was demon-oppressed. And number three, Saul developed psychological problems from the combination of God's spirit departing and his realization that he was being rejected by God. Now, I rule out demon possession since I think Saul was saved. As hard as it might uh, be to think of him as a believer, in chapter 10, he is described as a man to whom God had given, and I quote, a new heart. Towards the end of his life, in fact, the night before he dies, I believe it is, we're going to read a passage that indicates that in death, both he and his sons, including the godly Jonathan, would be where the prophet Samuel was in death. Where was Samuel? Well, Samuel was in paradise. And so Saul was a severely backslidden, but nevertheless believer. And as such, we would say he could not be demon possessed. And so was this psychological? Well, sure, but not purely psychological. It affected him psychologically, but it was not just something in his head. It wasn't his spirit being described as distressed. No, the Lord sent a distressing spirit. The Lord sent an evil spirit. And thus I conclude that he was being distressed by a demon. Now again, this shouldn't be a tremendous surprise to us. Think, for example, about Job. Satan himself was given permission by God to come against Job. The Lord set the parameters, of course, but Satan was allowed to attack Job within those parameters for God's glory and ultimately for Job's good. We also see something like this in the New Testament. You might remember the Apostle Paul speaking of the thorn in his flesh. It was some physical infirmity, but he called it the messenger of Satan sent to buffet him and keep him humble. God is sovereign over the spirit world and he can use the devil and his demons to accomplish his eternal purposes. And so we conclude that this distressing spirit from the Lord was just that, a demon who was given permission to oppress Saul as a discipline for his disobedience. So we pick up the story in verse 15. And Saul's servant said to him, Surely a distressing spirit from God is troubling you. Let our master now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is a skillful player on the harp. And it shall be that he will play it with his hand when the distressing spirit from God is upon you and you shall be well. Diagnosis, a distressing spirit from God. Treatment, music therapy. Now, don't laugh. I knew you would. I laughed too. But music therapy is a real thing. It's existed for centuries. I'm not saying I agree with it, but it's real. Uh, in the United States, you can get an undergraduate degree in music therapy from Michigan State University and a graduate uh, degree from the University of Kansas. So if you're struggling to find your career, uh, you could always go with music therapy. Uh, it doesn't sound like you're too excited about it. I'm no expert when it comes to music, but I think we must agree that music can be a very powerful force. It can most definitely set or change the mood of a person or even a group of people. Just think of a favorite movie of yours without the soundtrack. It, it, it would be lame. You, you know, my favorite is the Darth Vader music. You know, I mean, everybody knows it. Dun, 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 dun. I mean, wow, it's like Darth Vader. Who's what a crazy costume. Was that before CG or what? I mean, you know, hey, let's make this evil guy with a plastic head, you know. But anyway, I mean, there's it just sets the mood. And, and I mean, think of any movie. It's like, you know, you're drawn in by the music. 
And, and so music is very powerful. Now, I can only say this anecdotally, but it's been my experience and the experience of many others I've talked to that demons are repelled or at least neutralized by the worship of the Lord, by praise music, by sacred music. Now, in our text, verse 17, so Saul said to his servants, provide me now a man who can play well, bring him to me. On a personal level, I'm not so sure this was the best thing Saul could have done about the distressing spirit. I mentioned the Apostle Paul and the messenger of Satan God allowed in his life. What did Paul do in response? Well, you remember he said he prayed about it three times until God revealed to him that it was for his good and for God's glory. And then at that point, Paul gloried in the infirmity, saying that it gave him the opportunity to show God's strength in his weakness. And so Paul entered into the situation. He understood what God was doing. It humbled him and he kept on serving the Lord. Saul had none of those kinds of thoughts. His only thought was for relief. He did not want to be under God's discipline, and there's no indication that he ever thought of repenting. I like to think God was giving him space to repent, not just to be relieved. Now, the point we're making here in these first verses is that you don't want to be a Saul, not just in these verses, but as we go forward. You don't want to start well only to finish poorly. Though the Holy Spirit will not leave you, he will not be taken from you, he can still be grieved by sin. The New Testament describes believers who make shipwreck of their faith, who are disqualified in the sense that their testimony is ruined, and who will suffer the loss of reward at the judgment seat of Jesus Christ. We don't want any of those things to happen. And so if in the course of the next few chapters you can find any similarities between yourself and Saul, repent. Get back to walking with the Lord, yielded to the indwelling Holy Spirit. Verses 18 through 23, let's take a longing look at David and adopt every similarity. A period of four years may have passed between verses 13 and 14. Though chosen, anointed, and empowered by the Holy Spirit, David continued as a simple shepherd in the little town of Bethlehem. Uh, Four years. I mean... If you were here last week, you're familiar with the story, the prophet Samuel, I mean, the, the, you know, it'd be like Billy Graham coming to your house is the closest thing I can think of to, to give you a ministry. And so the prophet Samuel comes and he anoints David as the next king of Israel. The Holy Spirit comes upon David. And then for the next four years, he's out in the fields managing his father's sheep, just like he'd been doing prior to that. Nothing outwardly really, or, you know, changed. There's a couple of problems that we have as believers. One is sometimes we need to be stirred up. Uh, we, you know, we, we're really not doing anything and we have to stir up the gift that is in us and get to work for the Lord. But it's also true that some people, they think, OK, I'm ready. I'm ready to go. I'm, I've been born again and I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. And so, you know, I'm I, I'm going to go for it. God does have a time of preparation in all of our lives for the work that he has for us. And uh, some of us need to be reined in a little bit. Uh, and it's, it's a tough dynamic, but I think if we're honest and we open up our heart before the Lord and we seek his counsel first and then godly counsel that we really trust, I think that we can find a balance. That we can be stirred up when we need to be, but we can also be held back when we need to be because we're really not spiritually ready. David, anointed, chosen, ready to go, 
sent back out into the fields for probably another four years to tend sheep. His life was about to shift into high gear, however. Verse 18, Then one of the servants answered and said, Look, I've seen a son of Jesse the Bethlehemite who is skillful in playing, a mighty man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, a handsome guy, and the Lord is with him. An unnamed servant said, I have seen a son of Jesse. People are watching us. Not just people we know, people we don't know. Uh, and this, this was an interesting thought to me. I mean, I, the people I know, I, I'm sort of prepared for. I'm sort of ready for that. If they're coming over to my house, I, you know, I, can, I pick up the house. And if I'm, if I'm out at work, I know what to expect and all that. But this indicates that just unnamed people, people are all around you watching you. And... and they can pick up on what the real basis and focus of your life is just by watching you. And so it's just a reminder to us to be consistent, to be devoted, just be the same person all the time. Hopefully a person that's dedicated to the Lord Jesus Christ, to serving Him, to being available to Him, and then you won't have to worry about this. I mean, you say, oh, people are watching me, you know. Well, just be yourself. Be a person of integrity, the same at home and at work and at church. Uh, talk the same way, act the same way, be that person, and people will see things about Christ in you. Now, from verse 18, we can make a list of the similarities that we really should share with David. These are things that should be said of us as well. First, he was skillful in playing. Don't be too quick to count yourself out. Sure, David was a gifted musician, a singer-songwriter of extraordinary talent, who also, we read elsewhere in Scripture, invented and built musical instruments. So let's not focus on his playing. Let's focus on the word skillful. He was skillful in his playing. We ought to be skillful in whatever it is that God has given us. And so, what are your talents and abilities? Or what have you learned to do over the years? What can you yet learn to do? That's the point be excellent in those things. Be as skilled as you can. You know, maybe you're the kind of person like me, you have no natural talents or abilities whatsoever. I really don't. I know you think I do, but I have none. You know, I, 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 I'm just, if, it, I, if the biggest loser wasn't about heavyset people, I'd be on it, you know. But, uh, you know, no, uh, you know I, now, of course, I always thought, you know, I was God's gift and all that. But, you know, some people are just skilled, and, and you know, it's like I mentioned last week, American Idol, as, a, as an illustration. You know, there's 100,000 people think that they're the next American Idol, and you think, are you serious? You watch some of those auditions, and it's like, this is a setup, you know? And, and uh, so, you know, some people, they, and maybe you're in that boat with me, you're not extremely talented. You don't have a lot of natural abilities. You're just really barely making it. But you, do, you, you can learn things and you, 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 you're at work or you're at school or wherever you are, you can be skilled. You can hone whatever skills that God has given you and you can dedicate them unto the Lord. Uh, we have a, an idea in our culture that God only wants to use the cream. You know, and so we promote celebrity. We're always looking for the next celebrity who becomes a Christian. Now, it's exciting when somebody who is walking in the world, who is well-known, becomes a Christian. But a lot of times, it, it, well, most of the time it doesn't make any difference. People just check out on them. They still keep listening to their uh, secular music. They keep reading their secular books. 
They don't follow them into their career with Jesus Christ. And so, but we have this idea that I'd rather hear this testimony than the testimony of a simple believer in Jesus Christ like me. Uh, and so, whatever skill God, uh, or, or whatever God has given you, then hone that skill so that God can use it for his glory. Second, David was a mighty man of valor. Now we'll see in the next chapter, David, as a shepherd, had encountered lions and bears who threatened the flocks and that he had fought them uh, to protect his sheep. And the indication in the text is that he had done this multiple times, not just once, not just one lion or one bear, but that this was a constant uh, kind of a thing that David was into. And those episodes, they would be big news in a small town and they'd become part of David's resume. David would come in from watching the sheep and his dad might say, where'd you get that scratch? And he goes, oh, that? I was attacked by a mountain lion today. What? Yeah, he was coming after one of the new sheep and I just, you know... I couldn't let him take him, and so I fought him, you know, uh, mono lion, I guess, or whatever, and uh, got him with my sling, you know. I mean, I'm getting pretty good with that, Dad, you know, and stuff. And, and this would be, you know, I wonder sometimes how many shepherds really took on lions and bears. Do you ever think about that? I mean, I'm sure some of them did. That was their job, but I don't know about that. You know, it takes a lot of courage to face off a, a mountain lion. I wouldn't know. Uh, I, I've read that, you know. Uh, bears, I don't like bears. They're unpredictable. Bart the bear, never like Bart the bear, you know. Remember they used to get him. Remember Bart the bear? He's dead now. He's in bear heaven. Uh, but uh, they used to get him to roar because he liked iced tea. And so they'd give him like these cans of iced tea and stuff like that. My wife likes animals. I don't. And so she, li- you know, if you want to you swim with porpoises or touch big bears or go in with lions, she's your gal, you know. Me, my own little dog scares me half the time, you know. Vicious. All of a sudden they turn on you. You never know what's going to happen. So I never liked animals. They don't like me. You know, people say, oh, don't, you know, that dog can tell you're afraid. Yeah, what am I supposed to do about it? I am afraid. That's why it can tell I'm, oh, yeah, I'll just turn off my fear switch. Yeah, come on. That is one of the stupidest things people say. The dog can tell when you're afraid. Okay, I'll quit being afraid. Teach me how to do that. Anyway, we face off against beasts every day. Our enemies are spiritual. They're the world, the flesh, and the devil. The devil, for example, is even described, what? As a roaring lion going about seeking to devour us. And we can build our resume by resisting the devil, by refusing our flesh, and by rejecting the world. Third, David was a man of war. Now, this makes no sense initially since he had never been to war, fought against men. And it's redundant if it's talking about his courage as a shepherd against wild beasts. I think it anticipates. I think the servant was describing David as a guy who had what it takes to be a man of war. In other words, he's telling the king, David is going to fit in fine with you and with these hand-picked fighters of yours. He's not, he's not going to be a mama's boy or a pansy or anything like that. He'll, he'll be okay. You know, you don't have to worry about him breaking into our ranks. Uh, and, and so uh, this would speak to us of flexibility, of fitting in, so that we might influence those around us. Be honest, there are some people groups you don't want to be around. Or maybe it's just me. No, there's some people you don't want to be around them. You think, oh, that's, I just don't want to be around those people. Somebody has to be around those people. 
And a lot of times it's you and I with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we stretch ourselves, get out of our comfort zones in order to reach certain people or groups. The only group of people there are other than us are lost people. Uh, you know, they might have certain traits or characteristics, but they're just lost and they're perishing, but for the knowledge of the gospel. Fourth, David was prudent in speech. This is going to be pretty important if you're going to be around the king hearing potentially sensitive things about strategy and all. The Bible makes so much of our speech. There is speech to avoid, like gossip and slander, and there is speech to applaud as we season our words with grace, speaking as the oracles of God. The words you speak can bring help and healing to the hearts of the hurting, but they can also add to that hurt. Your sharing of the gospel can bring salvation to those who are perishing. Uh, your mouth, your tongue, my mouth, my tongue, my words, one of the most frequent topics in Scripture in terms of just thinking about what we say and the effect that it potentially will have on those that Jesus Christ loves. Fifth, David was a handsome person. I'll leave that alone. While David was physically attractive, think more in terms of the inner person, the qualities of the heart. We can and should cultivate inner beauty rather than concentrate on the outward. Now, last week we saw that the outward is important, but that God looks upon the heart, uh, and so it's the heart that we should concentrate on. And really, the people that you love the most and, and that are the dearest people, they're people who have those qualities of the heart, the gentleness, the love, the compassion, and all that. Be that person. Sixth and finally, of David, it could be said, the Lord is with him. David was all about the Lord. The Lord was David's passion. He wrote about the Lord. He sang to and about the Lord. He had a biblical worldview. Whatever happened in the realm of David, in the experience of David, he applied biblical thoughts to it. So when we see next chapter, he goes out to visit his brothers and Goliath comes out and he challenges the armies of Israel. He says, let's go. The only possible answer to this is to go out and fight him. Any of you guys could fight him. What are you waiting for? I'll go fight him. Uh, and, and because he had this biblical mindset, his skills were dedicated to the Lord, his heart undivided. And remember, this was all true of David while he was a shepherd out in the fields. He hadn't become king yet. He hadn't done anything yet. He wasn't in any kind of ministry or on a mission. In his regular, everyday working life, the Lord was with him and it showed to everyone. It's an encouragement to all of us that our central passion will come through. May it be Jesus. Don't you want it to be said of you if people analyze you? Bottom line, wouldn't you like them to say, well, the Lord is with him. The Lord is with her rather than something else, especially something temporal or that's fleeting or that's passing away. Verse 19, therefore Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, send me your son David who is with the sheep. Just like that, David's life changed. So may yours be ready. And Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread, a skin of wine, a young goat, and sent them by his son David to Saul. This was just hospitality. You didn't go to the king without gifts, even if he was the one that summoned you. As believers, we ought to be courteous. We ought to follow customs. We should be hospitable. We don't need to flaunt our freedoms and unnecessarily offend others. Verse 21, so David came to Saul and stood before him and he loved him greatly. He became his armor bearer. 
Now, the remaining verses seem to be a summary of what happened after David's initial arrival and after he'd been there for a while playing his harp. He came and eventually, like after the next chapter, became Saul's armor bearer. Verse 22, then Saul sent to Jesse saying, please let David stand before me for he has found favor in my sight. Saul would have only sent to Jesse with this message after David had successfully ministered in music to him. So again, this is a summary of their relationship, not a description of their initial meeting. What's interesting here, God granted David favor in the sight of the king. He can do the same for you, even if you are serving under some Saul-like person. Very common testimony Christians have, uh, look in the workplace, My boss is a cruel tyrant. I can't stand my boss. He's doing this, he's doing that, she's doing this, she's doing that. Um, Okay, they're like Saul. Have they thrown a javelin at you yet? Because that's what Saul's going to do. Have they tried to pin you to the wall and kill you? Are they trying to murder you? No. Okay, well, we don't want them to do that. We're not saying you have to submit to that. Uh, But a lot of times we fail to recognize, oh, wait, time out. I'm a Christian. I'm the Christian. I am the perfect person to be in this situation with my tyrant boss, my Saul. If I'm not here, if I move on and get the next job with some more David-like boss, who's going to fill my slot? Some other poor Christian. And so looking both ways, looking to the Lord to strengthen you and looking and saying, hey, I'll take the place of the next person, uh, let the Lord strengthen you. Not to say that you can't ever change jobs or that certain situations you know, uh, you can't leave. I mean, that's between you and the Lord. But it shouldn't be your first priority to get out of every difficult situation. God's gone to great lengths to set up a difficult situation for you. It's hard to find those crazy Saul-like bosses and get you to work for them so that you can shine in that place. He can give you favor ultimately with that boss. If he doesn't, he, you can still do all things through Christ who strengthen you. Some of the most fun times, and, and I mean this, that I had in my entire Christian life was working for terrible bosses in the world uh, who the scripture would rec- uh, describe with the word froward. Peter talks about that, even the for- froward. You know? And it's like, I mean, I've had, I had bosses like you who were just on the verge of insanity and uh, threatening and swearing and cussing and yelling and pounding and doing all that. Uh, And, uh, you know, the Lord is able to strengthen you in those situations. Should you put up with real abuse? No, no, we're not saying that. There are situations you do have to get out of. You have to be careful in listening to what I'm saying. But don't think that you're trying to always find the perfect work environment, the perfect environment, all the neighborhood or whatever it is. God needs us to be salt and light in some of these situations to reach those people. And so David had favor. We'll see that he doesn't always have favor. That's going to change at one point. Verse 23, so it was whenever the spirit from God was upon Saul that David would take a harp and play it with his hand. Then Saul would become refreshed and well and the distressing spirit would depart from him. We're going to get all excited about David fighting Goliath in chapter 17, and well we should. It's a remarkable episode. We're going to see him, this young shepherd, without any armor and with only a sling and five smooth stones, going out against an experienced cage fighter who stood over nine feet tall. And this guy, he comes right from the palace out to, you know, and is ready to go. 
Before he mixed it up with Goliath, David was consistently fighting demonic forces in Saul's tent, far superior to any earthly giant. You want to get excited about a battle, that's a battle. Because see, here's what I think would happen. Saul, I mean, he, he's really spun out. We're going to see Saul. I mean, Saul is, he's over the edge. And this distressing spirit comes upon him. And here's what happens. All of his mighty men, his men of valor, his men of battle that he called around him, they leave. And they say, hey, David, you're needed in the tent. And this young shepherd boy would come in with his harp. And he would sit there and he would start to play. And he is fighting a spiritual warfare. He's literally fighting demons at that moment because that's the situation. So now you understand, here's a guy. He's killed lions and bears with his bare hand and with his sling, protecting sheep that are defenseless. He's been in the tent of Saul doing spiritual battle with demons. Who's Goliath? Goliath is nobody to him. But I believe in David's case, even if he didn't have any of that background, he still would have went against Goliath because he had faith in the living God. But anyway, here he was, filled with the Holy Spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit, who could guide his hand on the harp or his hand with the sling. Uh, And it reminds us that God will use us as he finds us. We don't need any special training. We just ought to be honing our skills. Whatever it is we do, whatever it is we learn, wherever we find ourselves, we should be honing that so that God can use it to the best of our ability. Let me leave you with this thought. David became Saul's armor bearer. An armor bearer wasn't just a caddy for your weapons. No, they were themselves skilled and accomplished warriors. In some cases, they might even be better warriors than you. In the New Testament, in the book of Ephesians, you're given a list of the weapons of your spiritual warfare. You read about the whole armor of God. It includes the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, being shod with the gospel, the shield of faith, and the helmet of salvation. Now, if you are the one who is going to put on that armor... Who is your armor bearer? Well, it's Jesus Christ. You as a Christian have for your armor bearer the Lord Jesus Christ. When you go to battle, he is there with you. And he's not just a caddy for the weaponry. No, he's a skilled warrior. He's already defeated death and sin and Satan. He knows how to defeat the world and for you to overcome your flesh. He can assure you victory over all of those things. What a joy. Fiery darts are coming at you. Lord, what should I do? Here, here's the shield of faith. Here's what you need right now. I've already won this battle, but you need to fight it too. Wow, it's fantastic. Jesus Christ is my armor bearer. All of us start the same way Saul and David started. Let's take a look at Saul and then determine to be a David and finish well. Father, I thank you for these uh, thoughts. I pray that they would... Uh, sit well in our hearts, Lord, that we would be able to turn them over and meditate upon them. We appreciate the pictures that you give us in your word, the simplicity of them, but the fact that they're also so profound if we'll uh, just apply them. I don't think there's any you know, body in here, Lord, who would raise their hand and say, I'd love to be like Saul. He, Saul is my hero. I can't wait to ruin my life and the lives of others. And yet, Lord, through disobedience and just flirting with different sin, Saul ended up ruined. Lord, we do want to be like David as he's described there in verse 18. 
And there's a sense in which we are like David, as he's described there. We just need to realize it and reckon it to be so. We need to make you the central focus of our life. Would to God that if somebody were to describe any of us that are Christians here in this place, their summary would be the Lord is with him or her. Work on us, Lord, by the indwelling of your spirit, by your spirit uh, ministering to us and teaching us and prompting us so that we'll be more and more like Jesus every day. And Lord, if there are people here who don't know you, they've never really asked you to save them. They haven't confessed their sin and realized their need of a Savior. I pray that today would be the day, Lord, when they are drawn by your love to you, that they would give their hearts to you, and that after we close, Lord, they'd come forward and talk to the guys about praying with them to receive Christ as their Savior. Thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's stand together.